Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. I have a real star on as a co-host today. I remember, like, back when I worked at Wired Magazine, we did a package about, like, the most important wave of comedians that was coming up, like, in the in the tens. And I remember just being so taken by this person. And so um, so right now I'm feeling very starstruck. You might know their stand-up comedy from albums such as Same Sex Symbol or Marriage Material. You might have read their book Save Yourself. You might have seen them on A Million Little Things on ABC. Or maybe you listened to the podcast Query, which is now here at home on Maximum Fun. Cameron Esposito what else should we tell the people before we get started uh, about you? you? You did so much. <laughs> you did so much. I like to overdo so much. it. That's true, though. Does it sound impressive? I yeah. feel like something that's wild about career stuff, in my experience, mm-hmm. is that the goalposts constantly move. Yep. It was comedian Kurt Brauneler who uh, said to me once, like, the thing you want, you get a year after you wanted it. <laughs> so by the time that you're, like actually doing this thing you don't give two fucks right yeah um and so i just don't i mean when you said that i was like i guess i have done those things and i guess that does sound good but you know i believe it was um britney spears who said give me more <laughs> give me give me yeah more. she said that it was her it was her both of those quotes that was yeah, her. she did she said both of those she things. did say both and it was no that like, like the 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 package that we were doing on comedians at the time at wired was uh, was centered around like the gigantic gig economy that comedians in order to sort of like ace the game now had to be so multidisciplinarily successful to sort right. of break through and be the people of the moment is like you got to be podcasting you got to like have a twitter game you yeah. like should be developing a show popping up on sitcoms here and there like the whole point of it was that like the gig economy of comedy uh, was something that, like, you and this, like, class of people, we had kind of, like, anointed as those who were sort of mastering the hustle. Mm. So, like, and I would imagine, I don't know if it's become more since that era of, like, yes. the mid-tens. So there you go. So I would imagine, yeah, it's like, like you said, the goalposts just keep moving, and you are a veteran of this. So mm-hmm. I would imagine, too, that your goalposts, like, there are loftier and loftier goals because of the work you have put in and the build up of your career. Now it's not like, you know, I was reading about you like honing your first tight five and now it's like I'm developing another television show because I've already had a successful television show. And I I hope I have another one. Well, and the other thing that has happened and I feel like Max Fun listeners are the kind of people who think this is interesting is, you know, the thing that we're striking about right now in Hollywood has been going on for a really long time. And Mm -hmm. part of it is, you know, I think about this, the big change happening in 2006, which is when both Twitter and YouTube were, like, first became available. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, like, if you wanted to work as a comic, Mm -hmm. you, like, were on stage, and then you taped yourself, and then you Mm -hmm. burned a DVD of that, and then you (laughs) mailed it to somebody. And before that, you had to, like, drive across the country to audition. So... I, st- I think that we are still, in a lot of ways, catching up from a change that happened like 20 years ago, right. where there are so many different avenues now and so uh-huh. many different categories. The one that's happening right now is TikTok, which I have fucking cracked. Like, okay. I think what's so hard about that is that it is a complete restart. It like, is a complete restart. People are so restart. young. The they don't know are who not... you are. They have Ugh. no idea what's going on. It is restarting a career that i've already been in for 20 years and Uh like the cognitive dissonance between that is so hard because i want to be springboarding off of the work i've already put in right like exhausting and demoralizing (laughs) to be like oh it's from scratch but like i was talking to somebody about this yesterday courtney cox has -hmm. a really great tiktok game courtney cox first of all (laughs) congratulations (laughs) to her she's doing great but also like she was in Friends. She like, was in Friends. She was in the television show. <laughs> yeah. Famously, The yes. idea that she has to start over is like, we're all fucked. Slash, we're all blessed. 
I don't know yeah, which one slash it is. We're, slash we're all, I guess, on the same playing field. Yeah. Because if Courtney Cox is out doing, like, native TikTok creators, like, in some <laughs> fashion, then, like, fuck yeah for her. I'm feeling like, like, the January Jones of lockdowns on Instagram feels like she's well-suited for TikTok. Just, oh like, making God. crazy salt and vinegar baths. And Here's an example of this writ large. Um, Margot Robbie. Like, mm. she is, first of all, She's just very appealing. Like, not yes. just, I think she's a great actor and, mm-hmm. like, obviously, you know, traditionally gorgeous and all these yes, other things. she is stereotyped, in fact, stereotypical yes. Barbie in, the, in yes. the film Barbie. But she also seems to have, I don't think you can actually fake this. I've met enough people. I've worked in L.A. long enough. She just seems to have, like, genuine humility, genuine kindness. Mm-hmm. She seems to be, like, an artist in control of her career, which I always think is impressive. So I just think she seems like a real sweetheart overall. But, like, even she um, had to, you know, like, really create the momentum for Itania herself. Like, yes. she is the reason that that got made. She is the reason that that property was developed. Mm-hmm. And, like, she could have chosen to stay in the, like, Harley Quinn camp. Like... Mm-hmm. That is a direction she was being pushed in, but her own desire to, like, expand her options is why she is in Mm -hmm. a mainstream release that's supposed to appeal to everybody, but does have some, like, transgressive, if mildly from 10 years ago, beliefs. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's a, hey, in case you missed it. (laughs) Like, here, let's put this out in in note card form for you so you can flashcard form. That's so So you can, like, catch up to us real quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this does actually get us into the conversation that we're going to have here today. Because talking about people whose presences just bend gravity around them. Good transition. The two stars of this film, you, I, when, you know, as we, we ask, like, who is the character that you have felt represented by in film? And you came with one of my favorite, most seemingly audacious answers I've ever heard, which is Corky Inbound. Thanks. You seem uncomfortable. Do I make you nervous, Corky? No. Thirsty, maybe. Curious, maybe. That's funny. I'm feeling a little bit curious myself. Why is it audacious? Because of how fucking hot she is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it because of, like, seeing a person and being like, I think I'm that, and then the person I've chosen is, like, a top-tier pinnacle person? Is that why it's audacious? It was famously, I, I feel like, perhaps best hair in the game in comedy. Oh. Like, y- yourself yeah. a, a stunning presence. <laughs> <laughs> then there's then there's the tier that is Gina Gershon. I, I watched this with a friend who had never seen this before, and a a deeply uh, unfortunately heterosexual individual. And Gina Gershon popped up on the screen, and she her jaw dropped, and she yeah, was she's like, "So hot! I am." I am more gay than I realized I ever was before. Like, it, and it, she didn't say anything yet. She's just in her freshly out of prison clothes, oh my God, totally. showing up to fix things. Yeah. And it was like, and she had no awareness of Gina Gershon before this. So yeah. such is the power of, of this actress and this character. I mean, there's a lot I could say about this, and I will hopefully say it all. So I yes, hope so. Number one, um, okay, so she's incredibly attractive. We love her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of other things. Period. Um, I think that another thing that's true is that mm-hmm. the Wachowskis, who, mm-hmm. like, made this film and then got the funding to make The Matrix from yes. how good this film is. And so mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it... First time those... Chicago filmmakers, yes. the Wachowski sisters, yes. coming out with a haymaker in Bound. It's so good. You know, it's like a... It's like a film noir, like detective story or like paper, like, and it really is absolutely holds up. The shots are amazing. Mm -hmm. The like, it's stylistically beautiful. Joey Pants is in it as like the villain, and he's fucking amazing. A young Chris Maloney dynamic is in it. Yeah, yes. Um, So there's like all of that is going on, and really speaks like is all to the film's credit. But I think none of that would matter if there wasn't the chemistry that exists between Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. 
because Mm -hmm. often when like lesbian stories are cast Mm -hmm. i almost feel as if the people that were cast were never in the same room before they showed up to set like Mm -hmm. i don't know what i don't i don't understand (laughs) what seems to be um underlying these casting choices like is it just face is it just right. like how somebody looks in like a firefighter's uniform? Like, what is it? Like, how are they making these choices? Because because you'd think that even through even like if you put in like a male gaze, like put in a patriarchal context of like men making these films, yeah. you'd think that heat and sensuality and chemistry would still be at the fore of the priority for these casting decisions. You'd think that that would still super matter. But like you said, it it seems to tend to come down to okay face okay we're, know, we're, we're serving realize- 100s on face but then like absent a chemistry i'm realizing as you say that i think the male gaze in this particular instance is um perhaps each actor's fuckability to the dude that's directing the film <laughs> so like sure. i think there's a lack of understanding that in a queer context those women are going to want each other uh-huh and right, right, right. Like, as opposed to they're both individually available, like pornography, yeah. <laughs> like in pornography, yeah. the women like make out, but they also face out so as yeah. to be like, there's room for you, you know, like that's, that's and maybe a very that's, good point. Maybe that's what the problem is, is that there's like a sort of a railroad tracks to each individual person without uh-huh. looking at the the way that they are tied together on those tracks. I don't know why I made it a murdering Yeah, situation. no, no. The, the, I mean, the, the tracks eventually, ideally, they would merge as opposed to just <laughs> running parallel to each other forever, doing a great job, each of them. But they would become a unit heading on toward the same destination. These, this is all a very long way of saying that these actors are very specifically chosen, and it is so clear to me that the filmmakers are also both women um, mm-hmm. because they were not out at the time they were not mm-hmm. publicly trans women yeah but i it feels so clear like i feel that so much in this film yeah just watching last night my friend i was like oh we love a movie made by women yeah and it's you can so just clearly made by women coming through you can really feel it yeah and then the other thing that i will say that i think again to like to specifically speak to junior gershon and like why i could see myself there they, they also Early days, early mm. days. They had a sex scene choreographer. Annie Sprinkle came in as a sex scene choreographer. And now we mm. know that, like, intimacy coordinator, that's a job on Hollywood mm-hmm. sets. But this film predates that by decades and decades. Decades and the and idea decades. that, like, we maybe shouldn't be the ones deciding this. We maybe don't even have the answers yet on mm-hmm. how this would look that they brought somebody in, I think it, like, looks right. Like, mm-hmm. the stuff that these women are doing, even though you don't see all of it, right? it really looks right. And so yeah, that, like, almost, like, it's like a drone shot around, <laughs> like, the sex scene that gives you, like, the 360, and yet, yeah. and yet still obscures for the imagination. Absolutely. Even though they flirt with each other, like, the eye contact that they make, like, it all feels correct. You're doing all the work yourself? Mm. That is so amazing. I am so in awe of people who can fix things. My dad was like that. We never had anything new. Whenever anything was broken, he would just open it up, tinker with it a little bit, and fix it. His hands were magic. I'll bet your car is 20 years old. Truck truck of course 63 chevy i knew it well i guess it should be going you can drop the cup off at any time thanks my pleasure you know so Mm. when i looked at this character because you know the other example in television but not film is like shane from the l word i think really spoke to a lot of people people really like connected with that character but that character is like first of all has a body that's pretty unrelatable to me like yeah such a 
Kate Medig is such a thin person that that yes, feels... Yes, it's very, very like 90s CK model kind yeah, of exactly. film. Oh my God, that's, that's... I fucking wore all that <laughs> Did you ever wear CK1 or CKB? Oh my God. I, I, I wore... I remember the... I was at the ads for CK1 where I think just some wraith looks like straight into camera and just goes, B. Oh my God. And that's like well, I think that's probably CKB. Ad. There were two, you know, CK1, CKB, and I definitely had both of them. (laughs) And was just, like, like dousing myself. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Dousing yourself in that, the Kate Mossification of us all. Yes. It was not not a relatable time in fashion. Yes. And so, Kate, and I, this is not a... This is not a criticism of her body. That's her body. No, absolutely. But it doesn't, that's an unrelatable body type to me. And yeah, and, and, and I think that was part of the fantasy of Shane was that it was like kind of like, well, no one is Shane. Like the specific form that Kate Monaghan embodied in that character was like, this is the one woman who will ruin your life and then you will never encounter another vision like her ever again. But I think I thought I was supposed to have that body, actually, because there are moments oh, like, for instance, when that person takes their shirt off, and mm-hmm. is so flat-chested that I think I thought if I am occupying this space on the gender spectrum, then how could I mm-hmm. have rest? Like, that's sort of something that I took away from. And it's not like Gina Gershon is, like, buxom. I mean, sure, yeah. Tilly is positioned as buxom in this film. Yes. Uh, but she does have termin- post-Terminator 2... Actually, I'd have to really... These are these are contemporaries. I'd have to really time stamp them to figure out which one came first. But there's a Linda oh, Hamilton like Terminator, nature. Yeah, Terminator to her Two is like arms. 1992, and the moment where Gina Gershon is like holding up, it, she looks like a boom mic operator, like painting a wall, yep. and it's that shot from the back with yep. the shoulders yep. and the biceps. I was like, this is. I said it out loud. I was like, this is pure Linda Hamilton core. Oh my god! And uh, and your engineer just said this is five years later. I'm fucking a genius. I didn't even look <laughs> yeah. that up. I just knew it, and you knew it too. Like, but the the idea of arms and strength, yep, um, that stuff. Like Linda Hamilton, the way she trained for Terminator Two changed the way that the Marvel universe preps people for films. Like she had just had a baby. She had been the damsel in distress in the original Terminator. We're gonna turn her into a powerful character. We're gonna give her arms. We're going to also do that to Meryl Streep in The River Wild. In like, The River Wild. These God, arms. The amount of times I watched The River Wild on HBO. The Terminator 2 arms, The River Wild, and then and then this film. Like, these are films about arms, like, above all <laughs> yeah. else. And then we get the career of Jessica Biel. So, yeah. like, it all comes in succession. Then we eventually get Blade Trinity oh and God, yeah. Jennifer Garner is Electra, And, like, like, you, like we invent For Alias. Arms. Alias, so important. Alias, yep. So important. Foundational. So, yeah. yes, I will say that um, the way that her bod is represented, also, she, the other thing that is, the other things that are awesome about Gina Gershon in this film is um, the, her wardrobe. Her wardrobe oh. is fucking amazing, spot on. I, you know, she's she's wearing things that are, like, deeply queer. Um, yes. You know, first of all, she's in uniform. I mean, it's yeah. not like a, she's not... Um, She's wearing, like, painter's pants and yeah. a tank top. So she's, you know, technically in, like, a you know, blue-collar worker uniform. But and she not, also- like, it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it is sexy if it's a thing that is for you. But if it's not for you, it is not trying to court you and be like, it's not trying to get Caesar to think that she is sexy. Oh, that's it awesome. It is for that's Jennifer very, Tilly and for those who would... Point align with Jennifer Tilly's desire of her, which I think is like, she's almost like alienatingly queer. I think that's so true. And the other thing I will say that speaks to that point is that when they eventually put her in a motorcycle jacket, it Mm -hmm. is oversized. Mm -hmm. It's not tight. Like, again, Mm -hmm. it's not like a, I mean, talk about the Marvel universe. Like, it's not like zipping up. She doesn't look like Black Widow. Yeah. It doesn't produce cleavage as it comes together. No, it doesn't. It doesn't produce yes. cleavage. There's no boning. It's not partially yeah. a corset. Yeah. yeah. And so when she goes to like a lesbian bar, a queer bar, she is wearing what somebody who's occupying her space on the gender spectrum might wear. Like mm-hmm. she actually looks right. She's super hot, like above, yeah. uh, way above average hot. 
Look, yeah. you go to one of these <laughs> bars. That's not what people look like. But yeah, yeah, you're not going to find the like, outfit people might wear. The L word would tell you that you're going to find a room full of Gina Gershons, yes. and and Bound would tell you the truth. <laughs> and that's actually something that I really noticed about this too. Was like watching it again. It was like this looks like a corner gay bar in San Francisco yeah. of like the diminishing lesbian bar variety. Like these look yeah. like even the people in this bar look like folks who would be in this bar as yeah. opposed to a sort of centerfold representation of what it would be like to walk in and see a bunch of lipsticks sharing cocktails with each other. That's such a good point. And I think another thing that speaks to that point is that later in the film and gosh, I mean, just pause this and, and watch it. But um, there's a really important, and by the way, I'm just doing this like from memory. I didn't rewatch this. To prep for <laughs> I'm this sure at it's all. This is just what's in my brain. But something I really think is amazing is like, so Jennifer Tilly presents as this like sort of high femme person. Mm-hmm. She's partnered to a man, a like mobster in the film. So there's like a very sort of, you know, we have the Godfather already exists, and you know, yeah. we have a reference point for like who might be like a wife, and she's clicking around their condo and high heels and all this stuff. Um, But there's a moment where she says to Corky, um, where she says to Gina Gershon, like, do you think I don't have experience in this area? Or like something, I I don't have the exact dialogue. But Mm -hmm. it's like this really great moment where she reveals that like she's, you know, stealthily operating in a heterosexual Mm -hmm relationship to like survive and that she's essentially doing you know sex work which so yeah. many which as as like when when because like they they reference the thin walls between the two apartments the one that gina gershon is fixing up and the one that violet and caesar live in next door and gina gershon hears corky hears violet with a man and she kind of calls her out and she's like i heard you i heard you over there there's one thing i can't stand about sleeping with women it's all the fucking mind reading i don't understand I know, Violet, that's because you can't understand. We're different. We're not that different, Corky. Ah, let's see. This is the part where you tell me what matters is on the inside. And that inside of you, there's a little dyke just like me. No, she's nothing like you. She's a whole lot smarter than you are. Is that what her daddy tells her? I know what I am. I don't have to have it tattooed on my shoulder. That's what he's saying. They don't have sex with men. I don't. Oh, for Christ's sake, Violet. I heard you. Thin walls, remember? What you heard wasn't sex. What the fuck was it? Work. Yep. And then she like sits and like after, you know, Corky's been on her high horse about sort of like, are you a gold star gay or aren't you? Yeah. You know, she puts her Violet puts her in her place and kind of basically like calls her an idiot yep. for making assumptions about her. And it's actually a really incredible scene after they have clearly like had sex and Corky's like putting her clothes back on. Yes. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And, you know, it also occupies this space of like, I don't think in this film that um, Violet is supposed to be by or pan. I think she's just supposed mm-hmm. to be like a lesbian undercover. Um, I agree. But I think also just somehow that, creates space even though that's not her particular situation mm-hmm. this this conversation about assumption is like i listened to a npr podcast yesterday where somebody was talking <laughs> about this because this woman has released this book that's called uh moby dyke it's about like mm-hmm. lesbian bars disappearing in in the u.s and like the conversation that she had with jen white um uh this npr anchor it's like i just one thing i love about queerness is that somehow we have the same conversations <laughs> over and over again <laughs> as if they ever knew. Like, may I yep. may I suggest reading Alison Bechtel's Dykes to Watch Out For and then also <laughs> watching Bound and then watching TikTok? Because it's like we're making the same jokes. We yeah. have, we're discovering the same stuff. Everybody's pointing out the same thing. We just, it's like wow. people die and then we just like repeat the process. This is what happens when you can't learn your own history in in schools. This is the queer unifying experience. Is this Westworld loop of shared culture? What the hell? It's the Dolores gays waking up every day, and like they're every day. It's a new Dolores gay being like, 
hi, like, what have we done here? Absolutely. Also, shout out to another queero, Evan Rachel Wood. Love you, Evan. Yeah, shouts out Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, Come on the pod, Evan. Um, and uh, Evan and Zane, a fine band that you might oh, get yeah, to watch over here absolutely. in Los Angeles. Yeah, I've uh, multidisciplinary queers. I shouts out like at like much, much, like much like yourself, a multidisciplinary uh, queer professional. You know where you can find a chat with Evan is uh, on my podcast Query, which again just joined the Maximum Fun Network. Look so. at this synergy. Yeah, it's a deep dive. A couple years ago, but you can find it. It's time for a quick break. I'll be back with Cameron in a moment, and we'll talk about her first time seeing Bound. Then you'll have one quick thing before I go about news that is near and dear to my heart, which is that the Taylor Swift Eras Tour is coming to a theater near you. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Stick around. Somewhere in an alternate universe where Hollywood is smarter... And the Emmy nominees for Outstanding Comedy Series are Jet Pacula, Airport Marriott, Thruple, Dear America, We've Seen You Naked, and Allah in the Family. In our stupid universe, you can't see any of these shows, but you can listen to them on Dead Pilot Society. The podcast that brings you hilarious comedy pilots that the networks and streamers bought but never made. Journey to the alternate television universe of Dead Pilot Society on MaximumFun.org. I'm Jesse Thorne. Bullseye is celebrating 50 years of hip-hop by bringing you an entire month of brand new interviews with rappers. That means Jeezy. I put my pain in the music. Angie Stone. You know, hip hops. We called them hops back then. Master P. Music is what's going to open the doors for us, but whatever we come up with after this, it's going to be bigger. Plus, Chica, Saba, even the greatest of them all, Rakim. That's this September. Open up that podcast app, type in Bullseye, and hit subscribe. You're not going to want to miss any of this. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Today, my guest is comedian, actor, and now my fellow Max Fun podcaster, Cameron Esposito. We're talking about 1996's Bound, and in particular, Gina Gershon's character, Corky. Fan yourselves. It's okay. Take a moment. It's a crime drama, a lesbian love story, and the first film written and directed by the Wachowskis. Let's get back into it. How old were you when you saw Bound for the first time? That is such a good question. I don't know. I feel like okay. I feel like I want to say it's in the zone of 22 or 21, maybe even 20. Okay. It's in that zone. I think I saw it. So I had my, my so my first girlfriend and I she subscribed to the version of Netflix where they would mail you a DVD and then you'd right. get booked on their stand-up show. Um no, that's yeah. a, that's what you call a callback. <laughs> Um, where they would mail you a DVD. And I, first of all, when I look at the idea, this is so amazing because also lesbian films, it's hard to get copies of them. I have a collection to this day of like VHS and Blu-ray and DVD films. I don't even have anything to play them on. That makes you, that makes you like a a preservationist. You are an archivist. Do I have a copy of Bound? I'm going to look. Just hang on one moment. Okay, okay, go, go, go. Hey! Hey, there it is! On disc! On disc! I have a DVD copy of Bound. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, so I think I first watched this during the era of Netflix where they would mail videos to your house. Mm-hmm. You're not, oh my god, I just killed them videos. I am a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also basically a thousand. 1, I'm a geriatric millennial. Yeah. yeah, I'm at the edge. I'm the oldest millennial you can be. That's okay, but like before like you an, fall into the Gen X, exactly. Category. There's like an yeah. actual yes, me. I am the last one <laughs> about to fall I off the cliff, standing on the border Absolutely. between Arizona and New Mexico, Absolutely. straddling the two. Absolutely. Um, but something I love about this era is like there were so few copies of these films. 
that like, look, I'm not trying to suggest this to the government. Well, there isn't. This is broken now because but if they had, for instance, fingerprinted like Mm -hmm. the one copy of Bound that I think was being mailed to every lesbian's house in succession, (laughs) they would have been able to create a database that like for sure the incoming Republican president is going to want to have. Like, I mean, obviously, we know Donald Trump is going to be in prison. So, like, whoever gets it, whoever, wherever that governor comes from, they are going to wish that Netflix, they are going to send Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time to get to fingerprint the one copy of Bound that was being mailed to every lesbian house. That will be the first version of the L Words chart, is Bound circulating through the lesbian population. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've, I've read you talk about how, like, in high school, you, um, you like, it seems like you had a generally good time in high school. Like, I was well-liked. Like, things went pretty well. And the, like, you were raised very Catholic. And you've talked about, like, that gay people were about as real as leprechauns mm-hmm. to you. Like, yes. it was, like, it, like that that's a fantasy item. Yes. So by the time you're watching this, like, did you, had you quickly accrued, like, in your life dating women, other examples of, like, gay cinema? Or was this a kind of, like, proto-example for you? Is this sort of earlier on in your discovery of gay cinema? This is such a good question. So, um, there were some movies in high school that, without understanding why I rented them, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I watched them in my basement. So, things that fall in that category are, like, Boys Don't Cry, foreign films there's a movie called fucking them all that i fucking them all fucking them all a tremendous film (laughs) the number of times i've played the kitchen scene in the car on youtube the number of times i have found that and oh i'm jazzed uh so like those films are that first era but something that's true about them is that like they either were very young like the characters Mm. were and I, and I hadn't yet seen, like, Go Fish. Like, if I had seen the, the movie Go Fish, that's, like, an older group of people there in community. Like, that would have been something that I think would have changed my life. But I was mm-hmm. only watching films where something terrible happened to the main character. Yeah. Or where they're, like, teens and they don't have community. You know, mm-hmm. so there wasn't, like, an idea that that could exist. When I yeah. saw The L Word, when I saw Bound, that is the first time... That I was like, wait, what? Like, th- this can exist yes. outside of, like, teendom, outside mm-hmm. of tragedy, and within community. Mm-hmm. That was, and I, I recently, I was on the podcast Screen Drafts, and we were, we were picking the seven best gay studio films of all time. Oh my god, yes, what did you say? Sorry. Well, I Myra Breckenridge is on there, and it is a high placement. So I <laughs> wait. I don't even know what you're talking about, and I'm, I have missed nothing. Myra Breckenridge is an adaptation, I think, of the book of the same name by Gore Vidal, and I think he might have wrote the screenplay too. And it opens on a gender confirmation surgery of uh, a, a man transitioning to become Myra Breckenridge. It takes place in like an Italian, like hyper stylized disco hospital where a nurse just has a cigarette dangling out of her mouth the entire time. But Myron becomes Myra, who is Raquel Welch. And the whole gambit is for Myra to go to L.A. to Myron's uncle's acting school for terrible actors, where she will then convince him she is the wife of Myron who is dead so she can get his inheritance of several million dollars. And it is... This is a queer movie, and Myra is a despicable person, and her, like, stated goal is to obliterate men in the patriarchy. And she does very bad things that are like, this is our hero? That, like, really make you question how you can root for her. But then it's like, but Myra, wow. So highly recommend. Okay, gosh. I mean, I don't understand how this is <laughs> in a shadowy place for me. But keep going. I think it's the, it's the shadowy place of, like, post Hayes Code has fallen. We have not yet learned how to shove the gaze out of the frame because they went too far. And it's, like, very much in the vein of, like, John Waters feels like he would love Myra Breckenridge. And it came out, as producer Marissa is telling us, it came out in 1970. So, like, that sweet spot of three years post-production code collapsing and it just becoming the wild fucking West. Okay. All right. Um, But the only reason I bring that up, the only reason I bring that up is because we 
talked so much in that it was me and Adam B. Very, uh, a writer for Variety, and we talked so much about like what did tragedy on this list mean to us? Like how much gay suffering did we want to put on a list with only seven spots? And we really only put we only really allowed ourselves one sad film because we wanted to center stories Which for is our Brooke little Beck part. Mountain. If we were going to say this is a list of top seven, <laughs> then it should revolve around joy and celebration and triumph and lives lived well and mm. honored and with bound you have something where like the very thing that makes these characters villains and outcasts in, in any other film is the thing that allows them to survive being themselves Jennifer Tilly as the gay femme fatale and Corky as the dyke next door who is stealing the woman from the man those are the things that armor them to successful like vindicated vengeance by the end of the film and that is a Revolutionary thing, even still. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I was in a show, and mm-hmm. in that show, my character marries a woman who previously was married to a man. And this happened this year. <laughs> and um, nothing bad happens to that man because of this wedding. He's like actually into mm-hmm. it. And even that, you know, um, I know there was some negative response around this character deciding. Right. It's like the same situation, but everybody's chill with it and nothing, and no, and there are no consequences. <laughs> and it's 2023 and people are still like, yeah. I don't fucking know if this guy deserves this. And it's like, just, I think he's just happy. <laughs> he's just yeah, doing his I own think thing. He's, and I think he'll find someone new. He's at the wedding. He gives a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, maybe we should just listen to him and how uh, he feels about this. Oh, God. No, I think I, I, I love, like, Bound as a, like, first-time film in the halo of period in which new queer cinema is, is like, sweeping through the 1990s from the Wachowskis who are going to, like, who are two women, we just d- don't know that yet publicly, who are going to reorganize action and blockbuster cinema with the matrix in a few years coming out with a lesbian noir crime thriller that even by today like if if this got released fresh in 2023 and played at fantastic fest it would bring the house down even now and would still feel fresh and like out of left field like wow how'd they get this made yeah absolutely i mean i would put in my like personal pantheon um i would only put three other films as number one happy and number Mm -hmm. two like affecting me as much Mm -hmm. i would only put saving face which Mm. i love have you seen this film it is like a rom-com i have not i've heard the title but i have not seen it by alice Wu, who i like got to know which is amazing because that was one of my favorite films um and it's just it's great if it was released today people would think it was great it's great Mm -hmm. um desert hearts i'd put in this category which is like again it's dreamy and beautiful it like does not feel like it's from now but it was a period piece when it was released so again great and the other one is carol i would put carol in that like group of things where it's again just like totally positive not totally positive but happy endings nobody's shot in the head through by right nobody's shot yeah when you look at the when you look at the history of of lesbians on screen by comparison to like a anything else that is built around female sadness and and the loss of like gay love it might as well be a ticker tape parade yeah and also we get a ton of coming of age tales which like yeah again i don't mind i mean there's some beautiful like the movie pariah is amazing coming of age tale yeah um, by Dee Reese and like then she got to make you know other awesome big movies after making that so mm-hmm. there are great films in that category but like mm-hmm. a buildings roman or whatever like <laughs> yeah. I like I'm 41 I still watch that shit but I am 41 <laughs> but at the end of the day I, I am at, when I go to bed at night I'm 41 yeah yeah <laughs> Well, and what is, you know, with, as somebody who is is platformed, like, constantly with their comedy and then, like, with the podcast, like, in, in conversation with people about their lives and their truths, what role it, this time where, 
you know, I feel like we were allowed a sort of minute of queer joy slightly unencumbered with triumphs around like institutional recognition around marriage, which though like a, a, you know, a sort of a homonormative structure and not necessarily like a queer activism point, like is valuable in this, in this society. How do you consider conversations about like queer joy or queer rage or, or, or vindication, like these sort of the spectrum of positive, if embattled, aspects of queer life at a time when things are under a renewed kind of assault, it feels like, that that resembles the bad old days. The thing that that makes, I think, honestly, for me, this is, I think it might be the most beautiful uh, lesbian film that's ever been made. Mm. And I think part of that, and that speaks to what you're asking about, um, is that one of these people is closeted she's doing sex work she's you know portraying a certain role to survive and you Mm -hmm. know what like fair fucking enough because at like at many levels that is what queer people to do you know Mm -hmm. like in a state where you can't put the photo of your significant other on your desk at work i don't even know if we're in offices or if we have desks I don't, I I haven't worked a corporate job really ever, but let's say there's a world where there's an HR department. I don't, I don't know that Movies tell you this exists. In a world where, you know, that is representative of something, but I think pushes this film into, it's like well-made, holds up, fun, all those things. Yeah. But what pushes it into like politically charged is that this woman who is closeted because she has to be. Yeah, desires and pursues the woman who is out. And mm-hmm. that woman is outside of our traditional gender norms. That woman is wearing a baggy motorcycle jacket. That woman is mask of center. Mm-hmm. And to be mask of center and be an object with um, value, where your sexuality is valued, where your body mm-hmm. is valued, where you are pursued, like that... That literally works for, like, violence prevention. Because I think the idea, like, to be a mask of center person is breaking so many norms. It's working outside of a patriarchal system. I mean, it is, like, literally revolutionary that this this character is the one who is, like, lusted after. And to have Jennifer Tilly pursue her. Yes. And then you have Jennifer sort of you know, topping from the bottom in, like, their initial encounter where she, like, brings Gina Gershon, like, up to her and Gina starts, like, being the initiator, quote-unquote. Then you have the sex scene that follows with them where you have Violet topping, you have Violet topping Corky and it's, like, her her in that position of sort of, like, dominance over this mask, like you say, this mask of center individual, like, the tableau of that, of them on the bed, I think is, like, incredibly powerful to see. Yeah, so... Maybe you shouldn't call me a dyke on the street if somebody on the planet actually values me in any way. That is the far-reaching effect of a film like this. The other Mm -hmm. film I would put in that category is is Tangerine, which Mm. is another film that, like, it positions value really differently. And Mm -hmm. I think that when we, I think literally we undo person to person some, because it's not enough to put me on television. You mm-hmm. have to put me on television and not make me a joke. Yeah, visibility is not representation. Yes. That is not the same thing. You have to make me like a desirable person. You have to make me part of things. It can't just be... Actually, let's talk about the Barbie movie. Kate McKinnon, mm-hmm. yeah. out actor. Maybe Weird Barbie is the lesbian Barbie? Like, yeah. <laughs> just based on a bunch of cueing? And yeah. the other... This is my only complaint with that film is that the other Barbies call her ugly throughout Mm -hmm. the film to her face. That Mm -hmm. is the only, like, lesbian woman that is in that film. They have a a trans woman who's portrayed as beautiful and part of the hot Barbies, and we love Mm -hmm. that. But then the lesbian woman is literally a a pariah. And the repetition of ugly. And at the end, there could be this moment where they say, we're sorry we called you weird Barbie because you are actually beautiful. But they never say that. Yeah. Instead. There is an apology. There's like, sorry we called you ugly. Sorry we called you weird. Find your back into your face. They never say, sorry we called you ugly. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that like that is what this film does, mm-hmm. is that it repositions that. That is huge. I cannot speak yeah. enough about how that affects the way that like somebody like me would be treated in the world. Well, and I and I, I think that like extends into the like kind of the idea of like possibility modeling too, where like you like a young queer person now can watch. You know, there's there are many more choices. You can watch like Netflix shows that seem to have like gay kids uh, all over the place. Like like a lot of coming of age, a lot of like youth in boarding schools, like yeah. trapped on islands and micro societies kind of situations. We're much. It is much better now. But like watching adult women who for their difference and for sort of, I hate, you know, it's a tough word, but unapologetic sort of leaning into the thing that makes them different from the nuclear family heteronormative structure that binds them and using that, like at the very end when Corky's like, you know what the difference is between me and you, Violet? You know what the difference is between you and me, Violet? Yeah. Me neither. And like the two, like the two of them, like their their train tracks merging in that yep. moment, like for people to be able to watch that, and maybe they maybe they haven't seen the sad Vanessa Kirby, um, Waterston lesbian movie. Maybe they haven't seen the Longing and Ammonite. Maybe they haven't seen the Children's Hour. Yeah. But maybe the first time they saw gay women on screen yeah. was Bound. That's a great fucking start. It like, really to have is. that yeah. be like the bar set for you and be like. You mean I don't have to be like, hey, sometimes I get a good ending. You can be like, hey, yep. guys, good endings. Then when you see something sad down the line, you're like, fuck, I, I like some sad sometimes, but I, I like that good ending. I got better. Like, I want to keep I want to uh, align myself with who I can be based on somebody who's allowed a good ending. A hundred percent. And the final thing that I will say to your listeners is, yes, I always love to give people like this is your moment. Here's your like moment of what can you do? Here is yes. your moment of action. <laughs> here's the thing like number one internalizing that like trans mask folks and masculine of center folks are hot is really Mm -hmm. important so i want you to uh objectify me look at my instagram and objectify (laughs) me i also would like to ask you to please objectify may martin elliot page lena waith uh queen latifah is hot like i want you to identify that like really looking at these folks like if you like understanding that there's something there that can make you know who i think is so hot is jason momoa i don't know it doesn't challenge my my sexuality jason momoa has never been hotter than in fast x when he plays like a pansexual demon absolutely i love him so much i love him in everything he does i think he's so hot if i can admit on this podcast that i think jason momoa is hot you can really invest in a hyper mask gina gershon it's not even hard <laughs> i'm glad i started this podcast saying that you're beautiful so <laughs> say, so i'm glad that like we i started out uh with the message you would round us out with and i just my last thing i will say i would just like to part with a quote from roger ebert's review to share with you and the listeners about bound this is part of the opening of the review In old movies, this was a ploy to trap men. We're talking about the ring gambit, where Jennifer Tilly loses the ring down the drain to get the handyman, Gina Gershon, to come get it. But but for about 10 years, I've noticed that the only movie characters who seem to do household tasks anymore are lesbians. There's always a scene early in the movie showing them cocking something. And Roger Ebert is saying this with pure praise. He loved this film. But here's to the caulking lesbians... Of, of Bound and apparently every movie in the 10 years leading up to its release, according to Roger Ebert. Also, shout out to Roger Ebert. Like, defying yeah. societal expectations himself in an interracial marriage, mm-hmm. constantly in support of, like, women-led and, and yeah. queer films. No, Roger was an ally. He was an ally! Roger was an ally in, in a truest sense. He was the man, I... the man and the man... Never made a show of it. He just was I it. Know. It was matter-of-factly simply true. Just, you know, he looks like a stodgy guy who golfs <laughs> with my father. But if he does, or if he did, he was bringing a different uh, <laughs> sentiment. <laughs> well, Cameron Esposito, thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for bringing this masterpiece to the podcast today. I gotta say, I felt so seen. And matched in the complete depth of your knowledge around this film. I'm so happy to hear that. I also feel like I can't believe the depth of my knowledge. Like, (laughs) I really hope the listener understands that this was just 
I mean, at least in my case, and I think in your case, a lot of this just off the top of our heads. No, this is off the dome. <laughs> this is, is off bananas. the dome. Yes. This is passion this project is so levels of. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Cameron, and we so appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Big thanks to Cameron Esposito. I gotta say, guys, candidly, since it's just us girls, uh, there's sometimes when you have a recording and you're just like, everybody's on, and like, that's your job to deliver entertaining radio, as it were. But you're like, oh, that feels like a friendship. But like, it's a parasocial relationship still, but just know that probably like so many of you out there, so many query listeners, and hopefully so many feeling seen listeners, uh, you do feel like you really wanna be friends uh, with Cameron Esposito because uh, they're so cool. And I, too, wish that for myself. So we're all very much the same. And you can go listen to Query, as we said before, part of the Max Fun Network now. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, you can listen to that podcast. I was recently a guest on Cameron's show as well. So look for that if you want to hear lots more of us talking about horror movies, about Taylor Swift, about um, a lot of other things. We have a lot of fun. And hey, guess what? Segue. That's a segue note. Speaking of Taylor Swift... One quick thing before I go, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, the concert film, will arrive in theaters across the United States on October 13th, and this tour is on track to be the, perhaps, among, if not the most profitable concert tour in history. Taylor is out here giving you three, three and a half hours a night of 17 years of her music, and uh, the people are uh, rewarding her by making it the all-time tour. So Swifties, way to go. New Swifties, welcome, hello. It's a big tent. You can always come in. Uh, Bring your friends. Bring your family. We're having a great time. Uh, Exhibitors, you guys. Exhibitors, these are just predictions. These are just predictions people love to predict, but like... Hollywood Reporter, according to their reporting, says they believe several exhibitors tell THR they believe the film could open to a record $100 million based on, quote, brisk advance ticket sales. Guys, coming off of billion-dollar Barbie, are we coming into $100 million? Taylor Swift? Is that 2023? That's... That's the future this liberal wants. That's the present this liberal wants. That's a nice little pick-me-up to 2023 when a lot of things are trying to pull you down. I'm so excited to go experience the Eras Tour for a third time uh, on the big screen. It was filmed. uh, If it was filmed over one night, it was her first night playing at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. I was at the next two shows after that. Okay, brag. And uh, so I can't wait to see a night that I missed. And yeah, let's all stand under the same moon together, a.k.a. buy tickets to go see Taylor Swift in movie theaters because she clearly needs more of our money, and I am willing to give that to her. Uh, And that, support, as we always say, support independent cinema, but you know what? Support Taylor Swift too, because as we know, she's always an underdog. Uh, And that is one, the one quick thing I had before I'm leaving. Wasn't so quick, but... When it's Taylor Swift, why resort to brevity? But that is, in fact, our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Eaton. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.